welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So anyway, uh, man, uh, let's jump into Mark's gospel. We're reading from Mark chapter 1. Um, welcome everybody. We're glad that you're here and thank you for, for joining with us in church. If you're watching from home, we're glad that you've joined us. Um, we're in Mark's gospel and we're preaching through the entire gospel and who knows how long it'll take, but we're in chapter one and we're going verse by verse. Uh, man, I, I just feel like this is the right gospel for this season. This is the right text uh, for 2022. Um, and let's start in verse, we left, right, right where we left off, verse 29. We're going to look at uh, verse 29 through 31, I believe, is all that I'll get to. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, it says, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother, so Simon's mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Um, for those of you that just a quick recap, Mark chapter one is uh, the gospel of Mark, which was written by a man named Mark, um, but it was really narrated to him. Most believe it was narrated to Mark by Peter. So actually the gospel of Mark is really, it could be called the gospel of Peter because Mark was Peter's translator um, after uh, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus uh, appointed his disciples to go tell the entire world. And so um, from church history, we know that Peter went to Rome and Peter planted churches in Rome. And Peter had a, a buddy named Mark, who was a fellow uh, minister in the gospel. He was his translator. And when uh, Eusebius, Eusebius was an early church historian, Eusebius writes that when Peter and Mark were leaving the church in Rome, the church in Rome begged him to write down what he had been teaching. So essentially he had been teaching the same things and he had been sharing really his stories, his real first person accounts of his time with Jesus. He spent about three years with Jesus and that's what the gospel of Mark is. So Peter and Mark sat down, Mark wrote it out and left it to the church in Rome and the church in Rome basically every Sunday got together and they read it. So uh, there wasn't a lot of like exhortation around it necessarily as much as it was the exhortation. It was the encouragement. It was the message. So technically, um, I could just read this and, um, and you all could just say, wow, that's amazing. Wow. Praise God. Amen. Shout me down. And then we go home. Uh, that's kind of the way that it, that, that it worked. Now, the problem is we're 2,000 years removed from that. So I'll read this and we won't, so much is there that we won't catch it. We won't understand intrinsically what you would have understood 2,000 years ago in the same way that if you and I were to read uh, a Yahoo story about something right now, we would catch all the nuances of everything that's happening. But if you were to take that same story and let somebody 2,000 years ago read it, they would have all kinds of questions, right? What is crypto? <laughs> like, what are you talking? Like, what is America? What is democracy? What, what are you talking about? So there would, just, there would just be so many questions that you would have to filter and you have to explain. So that's my job as a pastor is not to add anything to this word, but to explain, to open up this word to you and help you see that it is a 
applicable to your life just exactly the way that it is. It is encouraging. It is empowering. It is uh, good. What scripture says that all scripture is good for, for reproof, rebuke, training, teaching. So it's, it's, it's all of that and a bag of chips. It's all of that. And uh, you get to receive that. So it's my job. It's my difficult job to start unpacking that and walking through it. And honestly, as I read this part of the gospel um, this week, I, I, it just feels kind of mundane to me. Like it's, I've, I don't know how many times I've read Mark and uh, just skipped right through this story. And yet this story is very important. One, it's important obviously to Peter that, that Peter know, that Peter makes sure the church remembers this story about his mother-in-law at his house. It's very Peter for you. But it's not just Pete. It's not just Simon Peter that wants you to remember this. This story is also included in Matthew's gospel, right? This story is also included in Luke's gospel. So it's interesting to me that what seems kind of like mundane story is actually central, apparently, to the gospel because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all said, look, you really need to know about this time when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, Simon, Peter's mother-in-law. And so I want to dive into it and uh, really, really look at it. And I don't have a whole lot of slides here except um, just that. Actually, um, just to give some context, if we could go back to last week's like the, the end of last week's story, because the beginning of this story, and this is how, that's why sermons take so long, because the beginning of this story is tied to the end of last story. You notice that in the, in the verse that we read, it said when they left the synagogue, they went into Peter's house. So the synagogue is, you, you, in order to understand the significance of the house, you have to understand the significance of the synagogue. So those of you that were here last Sunday, I'm not going to re-preach the whole thing, but you'll know that there were shocked, there were shocked disciples. Anybody remember that? And some of you all getting shocked, and that's a good thing. There were shocked disciples. There was some sound doctrine. There was some scared demons, right? So that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened in the synagogue. So, uh, so if you're... Sh- if you're shocked today, knocking stuff over, things like that, that's actually a, a very Jesus-like sermon for people to be shocked, for people to step back and say, well, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not sure about what he's saying. And um, Mark doesn't tell us at all what he was saying, just how he was preaching with authority and how people were responding to him, which, by the way, is really key. If you're, you're going to read, as we go through Mark, you're going to see that authority, especially the authority of Jesus, is central to Peter's version of Jesus. It's essential to Mark's gospel that, that you need to understand Jesus has authority. In, in, last week, Jesus has authority over demonic spirits, right? He has authority over Scripture. He can add to it because he was there when it was written. You and I can't. He can say, you've heard it said by men of old, you shall not kill. But I say to you, whoever's angry at his brother is in danger of hellfire, right? He can say that. I can't say that. So I'm never going to say, hey, you've read in the Bible this, but I say, like, no, no, Harry's not going to do that. And any pastor who does that, you need to question them right away, you know, and just kind of walk away. But Jesus is different because he is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he can, he has authority over scripture because he is the word of God. He has authority over demons because he created them. And it's by his word that they continue to exist. They only exist because he desires it and wills it. So, so, so he has power over them. He has authority over, we're going to see in this verse, he has authority over sickness and disease. He can end sickness and disease, whatever it is, immediately. 
And that, and, and, and that ought to bring you some hope that whatever, your, whatever sickness is in your body, Jesus has authority over that. Even just this week, we prayed for Charlene. She went in, I think, on Tuesday and uh, had an operation. And they, they, the doctors were shocked at, at how, how well things were going inside of her. And I said, man, that's an evidence of Jesus' authority over our bodies. Yeah, he has authority over our bodies. He has authority over that. He can speak. And so often in the book of Mark, he just says stuff. Right, Mark chapter 4, he speaks to the wind and the waves. He has authority over the weather. He has authority over nature. He says, right, there's a big storm. They're in the boat. Jesus says, peace be still. And the storm calms down because he has authority. And the disciples look at each other and go, what kind of guy is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so people were constantly amazed at his authority. He has authority in Mark chapter 5 over death. Right? He goes to the house of, of, the, of a ruler, one of the rulers of the synagogue. He goes to the house, a 12-year-old little girl, and he says, little girl, arise. And she wakes up from the dead. He has authority even over death. And what's interesting, actually, in that story, in Mark chapter 5, uh, Jesus uh, it, uh, arrives in the town where this guy lives. This guy meets him as he's getting there. And, 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 he's, and he says, Jesus, my little girl is sick. Because he knows Jesus has authority over sickness. So he hasn't had the revelation of authority over death yet, but he knows about sickness. So he says, my little girl is sick. Would you heal her? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come to your house. And the man says, actually, you don't have to come to my house. And Jesus is like, huh? <laughs> and, and the man says, look, I also am an authority. I understand how authority works. I can, I can issue a decree over here, and throughout all of my domain, that decree will be adhered to. That will be obeyed. And since Jesus' domain is the entire world, you can say something in, in, in Austin, Texas, and it'll happen in Detroit, Michigan. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have authority over this. And Jesus turned around, and he said, wow, I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere like who is this guy and Jesus says because of that I'm coming to your house anyway I'm just going to come visit and right and then he's on his way and that's when they find out his little girl has died so we'll get to that in future years we'll, we'll be in Mark chapter 5 so I so I can talk about it now because you're going to forget about it like then so it's all good you're going to forget about it next week what am I kidding like you don't even remember so anyway like so I'm so that that's the deal it's like Jesus has authority which is why I think Mark I think that's why God's laying Mark on my heart because in 2022 man we need to know who's in charge <laughs> we need to know who has authority over sickness over COVID over disease over uh, economic depressions over over you know over election cycles over civil war. I mean, we're living in a season of upheaval. It's kind of like the 60s, really, where like, it's not as bad as the 60s yet. You know, uh, presidents aren't getting shot just yet. But I mean, literally, like, we're kind of like moving toward that. Where's this, there's this talk about uh, civil war. There's this revolution is in the air. There's so much uncertainty. And uncertainty isn't bad, but it can have some really bad effects on us. With uncertainty comes worry. With uncertainty comes anxiety. With uncertainty comes what, what, uh, what are they calling it now? The great resignation, right? Where people are walking away from jobs they've had forever, relationships they've had forever, churches they've been a part of, and they're walking away. And some of that's not bad, right? I mean, the, some people have been in a dead-end job, and they probably should have left years ago, you know? But yet most people, like, it's, it, it, it's interesting. They're now beginning to do studies because for the past year this has been going on. Now they're starting to do studies like, how happy are you in your new job? And they're finding that people are less happy, by and large, about 70-some percent are less happy in the job that they're in now than they were in the job that they quit when they were unhappy enough to quit. 
<laughs> but they're not quitting now because literally they kind of burned their bridges back there and they're not sure that they can get anything better. Back in the day, we used to call that jumping from the frying pan into the fire. That's what that was called. And, 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 so, and so that's why I think like, we're, we're, yeah, we've been in the great resignation, but I think we're moving toward the great regret and the great uh-oh and the great oh crap. You know, I think we're on, we're like, like that's the next level, you know? It's like, oh my, oh, what did I do? What do I, how do I, what? You know, I, that marriage wasn't so bad. That relationship wasn't so, I, like that job wasn't so bad. It's, it's like, we're going to move into that. But in the meantime, I, I just, it's like, it's like that song that we've been singing. Uh, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, the firm foundation. That's why I like doing it. Because I, I mean, serious, in times like these, I've never been more glad that I know the one who controls the weather. I know the one who controls the finances. I know the one, it's not Putin, right? It's not, I don't, I don't care who's, got, I don't care who's got the, the nuclear codes. Like it's not, a, like you can, you can store it in Mar-a-Lago if you want. You can leave it out on, 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 a, on a countertop if you like. But my God controls the end of the world. When he says it's done, that's when it's done. When he says I'm done, that's when I'm done. So COVID doesn't tell me when I'm done. God tells me when I'm done because he has authority over this. He really does. He really has authority. And, 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 and I love Mark's just assurance with which we can walk through upheaval and social unrest and fear of the future and uncertainty about our finances and uncertainty about inflation and uncertainty about elections and all the uncertainty, man. I mean, yeah, I, I have a lot of questions about that. It's kind of like fantasy football. Who knows how it's going to work out, right? Like Colin might win somehow by luck again and beat me when I had so much great strategy. But I'm just saying that, that there's just so much uncertainty around unimportant things like fantasy football, but also important things like, like your stocks, and your investments that have lost what like 70 some percent in the last eight months uh man i haven't lost 70 some percent but some of you all have lost some because you have to have stock to do that but anyway that's a whole nother level that's a whole nother and it's not bad to have it's not bad to invest but my goodness yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know about stocks, but I know who I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. And I've never been more glad that I know him. I've never been more glad that I'm not deconstructing because what do you got left after all that? I've never been more glad I'm not, uh, I'm not walking away from ancient faith. I'm not walking. I'm going back actually to the Lord's table. I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to truth. I'm going back to things that I know are real. I've never been more glad to be a part of that. And so that's, that's, that, that, this is a major theme. Uh, Mark is, is, is consumed with the authority of Jesus. Is every chance he gets, he's like, by the way, he's in charge. By the way, he calls the shots. By the way, he, he, he knows what he's doing. And so, and so we see that in the very first miracle that Mark records, which is not actually the first miracle of Jesus, right? The first miracle is he turns water into wine, but Mark says, no, 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 we'll skip that. The first great miracle is right here in Peter's hometown in Capernaum, and, and he casts out demons. He has authority. That's what you need to know. He has authority. And so it's great. It's good. It's, it's, it's not disagreeing with the other gospels. It's just a different perspective. And so Peter's perspective is authority. And that authority happens within uh, the, the not, not the tabernacle, the synagogue. I keep wanting to call it tabernacle. But it was a synagogue. It was a local kind of church. It was a local place of worship where they would come every Sabbath and they would hear scripture read and they would hear some teaching on that scripture. Jesus shows up. He teaches with authority. And then he walks out that authority, casts out demons. And people are shocked. 
and um, and there and it's, it's not necessarily a good thing because Jesus is 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 messing with their their comfort level. And what I didn't get to get to, and this is the passage that I wanted to look, that they were all amazed and they all questioned among themselves. Now, I think in the NIV, it says they debated among themselves. And that is the idea here. That's the theme, that they were exposed to his great authority. They heard his words, they saw his miracle. And then that caused them to debate among themselves saying, what is this? It's interesting, that's the same thing that the Jews had said about manna, which later on in the Gospels, Jesus says, by the way, I am the manna that's come down from heaven. And when people are first exposed to the goodness of God, to the authority of God, the common response is, what? (laughs) What is this? This is not how I thought it was going to look. So they said, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commands even the unclean or demonic spirits, and they obey him. And if we can keep going on to verse 28, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So So that's kind of how it ends. That's how Peter ends it. That people are standing at a crossroads and they're debating. Now, he never says how that goes. But interestingly enough, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, and I don't have this passage, but Jesus calls out Capernaum. He's calling out different cities. Woe to you. He says, woe to you, Capernaum. For if the things that had been done in you would have been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until this day. In other words... They never stopped debating. They debated themselves right into inactivity. They never decided. So, you, so God can do amazing things in your life, but if you don't decide to believe him, if you don't decide to move from where you are, if you don't decide to follow him, all that amazing stuff will not help you. Right? And Jesus actually said, if that amazing stuff had been done in Sodom, people would have said, wow, I'm going to follow him. That's amazing. You know how wicked Sodom was? You know how messed up they were? They wanted to gang rape angels. That's how messed up they were. And, God's, and, and from God's perspective, it doesn't matter how messed up you are. It matters where your faith is. It matters, will you respond when you see truth? Some of you gang rape. We're talking about gang rape in church. It's in the Bible. I don't know. It's just there. I'm sorry you're a Texan. I'm sorry you haven't read that part. Maybe nobody didn't, maybe that wasn't a K-Love song, but I'm telling you, like, it's in there. Maybe they need to write a song about that, you know? (laughs) Angels shivering in their boots. Well, Lot is standing up for them. Man, I'm telling you, like, the Bible's real, and Jesus calls out that place, and he says, look, those guys, like the worst people you can imagine, those guys, if they would have been exposed to truth, they would have responded. They're not in a suit. They're not in a tie. They're not looking all right. They, got, they, they, don't, they don't look like, like, like a church person, but they respond to truth. And Jesus says, man, they would have responded. They wouldn't have debated. They wouldn't have argued about whether or not I have the authority to do this or that. As soon as they saw my authority, they would have said, that guy is the real deal. I'm leaving my life of sin. I'm going to follow him. That's amazing. That's the kind of people that church needs to be filled up with. Not people who know the routine, who are ready to debate whether or not we should act, whether or not we should apply this to our life and how exactly that should work its way out. No, you do it. You read it and you do it. And it doesn't matter how far away from God you are. You might have been gathered around a house with some angels inside of it last night. But if you are ready to respond to truth, there's a place for you in the body of Christ. There's a place for you.
And uh, man, I, I, I love that Jesus. But, but the problem is Capernaum didn't. Capernaum was too religious. Capernaum was too self-righteous. Capernaum wasn't as bad as Sodom. <laughs> but oh no, they were a lot worse. Jesus actually said, he said, he said, he said, oh Capernaum, we, he said, do you think you're going to be raised up to the heavens? He said, no, you're going to be cast down to Hades. And this is the problem with pride, right? This is the problem with, with going to church too much and not applying it to your life enough. It's a problem with getting too exposed to truth without being con- confronted with action. Is that you end, up, you, you end up frozen. And it's like, oh yes, I go to church. Yes, I, I do that. Yes, I pray occasionally. You know, whenever I, Jesus needs to take the wheel. And like, like, uh, yes, I, I, have this, I have this relation. Like, I have a relationship with God. But no, no, are, are, are you deciding? Because here's, here's the key difference between the folks in Capernaum and the guys who did follow Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It's found in the very next verse, which was the opening verse of our passage. In verse uh, 29, it says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. In other words, the difference between, and this, and the, I don't know, this, this might be the whole sermon, but the difference between belief and unbelief, the difference between debating and deciding is will you allow the Jesus who is in church to go home with you? That's the key. Everybody else said, okay, he's at church and we'll listen and we'll see and we'll, we'll go experience something. But there was one guy, particularly Simon, who said, how about you come to my house? How about you come home with me? And so that's the title of my message is that last week I talked about the power of truth. And today I want to talk about when truth comes home with you. What truth will do, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus has full authority. What happens when that authority goes from the church house to your house? What happens when that authority goes from this room, right? It's because here's the key. It wasn't supposed to stay ever in this room. It was like, like the religion created a thing that was like, yes, you need us, so you come here and you rely on us and we make sure that we have to bless the bread, put it in your mouth. You, you can take communion at home. You can, you can take communion at home. You don't need me to pray over stuff. You don't need me to pray. You don't need to confess your sins to me, right? Like this is not biblical. You can confess your sins one to another. You can confess your sins to your spouse if you like. Like you can confess your sins in small groups. You, like this is all, like there's no priestly we're all priests we're all priests which means we all offer sacrifices on a daily basis you're like well, i don't know and if you're not like this is the th- this is the deal like some of you're looking at me like i don't know about that well it's because you haven't re- you haven't taken them home with you then his power his authority has been left at the door of the church and you're still the, the jury's still out you're still trying to decide but man when you decide that he is the way the truth and the life that's when you invite him into your home and that's when things really start to change and so i want to encourage you today to bring jesus home with you <laughs> i want to encourage you today to bring jesus into your home because because here's the deal like 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 Jesus the power the authority of Jesus and so what what happens and I, I didn't get to the the next verse is after uh, she's raised from uh, raised up from her fever it says the sun goes down because this is the Sabbath right so people can't travel on the Sabbath so after she's raised from the fever the sun goes down which means the Sabbath is over because in the Jewish mindset the new day starts when the sun goes down so when Paul when when, when David says early in the morning I'm, I'm praising you. He's not talking about 6 a.m. 
And those of us late night owls love that. We just love that truth. We hang on to that truth. I mean, he's literally, he's talking about midnight. He's talking about like when I'm up. He's talking about like when some of us are up. Because literally 6 a.m., you're out in the field, you're already working. And so when David said early in the morning, that's the beginning of the day. So even, even nowadays, Jews will like lay out their clothes and stuff. They'll prepare, like before they go to sleep, they're, they're, they're already started the new day. And that might help explain the three days of Jesus in the grave and all of that with the whole timing thing. But, you know, so the sun goes down and now all of a sudden people can travel. And Jesus has cast out demons. And we know that Jesus has gone to Simon uh, Peter's house and he's raised this woman up with a fever. And then when, it became, when night fell, it says that like a, a massive crowd converged on the house. And they brought their sick and those that were sick. And they brought to Jesus and Jesus healed them all. In other words, like... The key to revival in our city is the presence of Jesus in our homes. This is key to us. This is massive. It's not just about you and your home. I mean, it is, but it's not just about you. God has a bigger plan. He wants to raise. He wants to heal. He wants to do miracles within your home so that he can bring revival to your city. In our city, and I don't, I don't believe God's done yet. I don't, I'm, I don't believe it's time for the church to settle in and hunker down, as you all say in Texas. I, that right? That's a Texas thing. Like I, I, I don't, I, I don't believe that this is what God's calling us to. He's not calling us to hide out in our homes and make sure we don't get COVID until He comes back. It's not what he said. He said, go ye into all the world, dig, dig holes and put your head in the sand. No, he didn't say that. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, bring people in, bring revival to every city that you walk into. But the key to that revival is the presence of Jesus in our home. And so I want to talk briefly about that. Uh, Peter invited Jesus into his home, which is massive. And it's also like, it's also kind of hard for us to understand because in our culture, um, you know, uh, entering into someone's home. It, I, maybe it's better, it's easier to understand nowadays. Because I remember I was talking to Myron and Candace about this. Like, back in the day, people would just show up at your house. I don't know if you guys remember that. I'm showing my age. I'm 42. But back, like, when I was, like, 12, like, I remember people just knocking on our door. You know, you remember that? And like, like, oh, and mom would look and like, oh, it's so-and-so or whatever. And they open the door and Aunt Gloria is there or, you know, there's it, an actual aunt of mine, Aunt Gloria. It's an old school name, uh, but she's old, so it's all good. So, you know, Aunt Gloria or Aunt Robin or like, like somebody that we know, somebody from church, for instance, one of the families from church. Oh, here they are, the Carlsons, like they're here. And so we open the door, they come in, we hang out. That's what we used to do. Now, I know some of you, like 20-somethings, you're like, ah, oh, that's a creepy. That's creepy. Like, like nowadays, somebody knock on your door, you're like, get, get the gun, get the gun. Somebody get the gun. Are you ready? What was that? Who did it? Who, what? <laughs> Doesn't matter what time of the day. Now, back in the day when it was like midnight, yeah, we were like, get the gun. Like, yeah, get ready. Something's funky. Something's going on. But it was like, but nowadays, like the middle of the afternoon, someone's knocking on the door. It's like, are they trying to break in? They're trying to, like, I'm, I'm getting ready for this. But like back in the day, like we just showed up at people's house that you knew. Or if you're a Jehovah Witness, like you showed up at people's house that you didn't know and you tried to convince them. And it wasn't even that weird. It's like, oh, it's Jehovah Witnesses. They want to talk about whatever, yada, yada. It wasn't that strange. But nowadays, it's getting really weird. 
Nowadays, it's like, why didn't you call first? Why are my house isn't ready? I don't have everything cleaned up. The kids have stuff all over. Back in the day, we just understood that this is how we all live. But nowadays, it's like, no, no, no I got my Instagram. They're like, everything's perfect. Like, this one corner of my house is really clean. Like, check it out. And it's like, if you just show up at my house, you're going to find out that that corner was clean, but the rest of this was a wreck. You're going to find out I live like you. And I don't want you to find out that I live like you. You know what I'm saying? Why didn't you call first? You should have sent a text. Like, okay. It's just interesting. Sociologically, I love sociology. It's just interesting how values shift over time. And actually, it's shifting nowadays. It's like um, we, we always follow up with our guests, right? If you're a visitor here and if you filled out that card or scanned it, I don't know if Rocky talked about scanning it, but uh, you can scan the QR code. And, you know, if you, if you fill that out, like you're going to get some kind of communication from us this week. We're going to reach out to you. But we've noticed that if, if people are like under 40, you kind of need to text them. Because if you call them, they're like, uh, uh. Uh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What, am I in trouble? Is this a collection agency? Is this what's, what's going on? You know, it's like, it's like you just, it's like they assume the worst. It's like, oh my gosh, oh, this is big. This is big. This is a phone call. Uh, but back in the day, man, we used to call everybody just all the time. You just call your family, call your friends. Hey, what you doing? How's it going? But nowadays you send a text message and that's appropriate. So they get a text from the pastor. It's not scary, right? They get a call from the pastor. That's scary. Pastor actually shows up at their house. That's where they hide in the basement, turn off all the lights. And they're like, I'm never going back to that church. These people are nuts, you know? They're, it's like, they're, they're a cult, you know? But it's interesting. It's just, it's interesting to me because this is how sociology moves. But the truth is none of this has actually changed. You know, showing up to people's house is not actually wrong. Texting people is not even wrong. If you really cared, you would show up. Well, I sent you a text message and you didn't answer. So, so why would I, what, why would I show up? I, I don't know. I'm not talking to you, Jonathan. I'm just talking to just the, the general, just somebody, somebody here. Somebody in this area, somebody in this area. No, and it's so interesting. We, we have our perspective, right? And we apply that to other people. And so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm spending a really long time to show you that, that the Middle Eastern perspective of inviting someone into your house is a little bit different than an American perspective. The, 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 like by, by, so figure like Jesus just got done shocking everybody, right? And, and, and he's shocking them with truth. And then, you know, Elder Debbie, I was going to say Debbie Downer, but it's, it's a guy. So Don, Don Downer. Elder Don Downer stands up from the back. I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. And Jesus says something about get out of him or get out of here or something. We don't know. And all of a sudden, Elder, Elder Don falls over and he starts making really weird sounds. I think maybe Jesus killed him. And he's laying there on the ground, sort of unresponsive. Everybody's shocked, looking around like, who is this guy? What's going on? And Peter's like, uh, and Pete, you know, they, he just signed up, signed Simon and Andrew and James and John, they like that first time I ever heard this guy preach. And they're like, um, okay. And then Jesus comes down and is like, all right, how about we go to your house for lunch? And Jesus, you know, Simon's like, oh, yeah, may I, you know, gas prices. And I don't know. I don't, I, I had other plans. I, my mother-in-law's coming over. Uh, you know, it's like, it, 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 now Peter has to decide. Simon has to decide. Am I with him? Because that's what this means. 
Because the whole town, this is not a big town. It's not like Austin. There is literally like 200 people in this town. Everybody knows everybody's business. And like everybody knows where Jesus is going to go after this. And if he goes into your house and you welcome him and you fellowship with him, bro, that's, that's community. You are with him. You're locked and loaded. You're down with everything he's saying. That's what Peter is doing. So when I say, welcome Jesus into your house, I don't just mean, well, I guess we need to take our Bible home and put it on the shelf. No, like it's not a physical, it is, it is a value thing. It is, I am with him. I am with him on my social media. I am with him on my job. I am not like you on my job because that's what you would like me to be. I am like him on my job because that's who I am with. Right? And I'm not, I'm not judgmental. I'm not annoying, but I am with him. And if that annoys you, I'm sorry, but I'm with him. Right? I, I'm faithful to my wife. If that annoys you, I'm sorry, but I'm faithful. I'm, I'm, I love my kids. I'm going to spend time with them. If that annoys you, I'm sorry, but that's what I'm going to do because I'm with him. And so there's a sense when I say bring Jesus home, I mean say I am with him in such a way that everybody knows it. And the downside of modern baptism, of we've, we've, we've turned bat water baptism into a public, like this, people went public with their faith. What? They were secret Christians before? undercover agents like what and it's like is that really public in a room with like 50 other people that also love Jesus oh you're so brave no man like the braveness is in your on your job the braveness is in your classroom like that's where it takes some guts that's where people are like I don't know about this Jesus guy he seems kind of homophobic I don't know about this Jesus guy he seems kind of judgmental and then you say I'm with him they're like okay and suddenly they start backing away from you. And suddenly they stop bringing you office gossip. And suddenly they stop talking to you and bringing you opportunities for advancement. Because it's real. When, when I say bring Jesus into your home, I mean say I am with him in, in, my, in, my, in my life. Not just on Sunday, like with a bunch of people that already kind of agree with you and we're all sort of on the same page. Oh, that's lovely. But what about people who vehemently, and this is Austin, Texas, people who, who militantly disagree with you? <laughs> like, what about those people? Are you, are, you, are you okay with saying I'm with him? And I love you and I'm with him. And I accept you and I'm with him. And I'll, I'll spend time with you and embrace you and I'm with him. Like this is what, this is what our culture needs. This is what brings revival. When people stand up and say, okay, it's a little weird. I don't understand everything that he's teaching personally. It's kind of shocking, but I'm with him because he's truth. And, I, and, and I'm going to go with him. And this happens frequently, by the way, in the gospels. Like people will leave Jesus. Jesus will turn to, to Peter, James, and John and be like, so are you guys with me or not? Because constantly you're going to be met with opportunities to walk away from Jesus, to keep him at church, keep him tucked away with people who agree with you and keep him in that corner. Meanwhile, you have your own thing going on at home. You have your own thing going on at work. You have your own thing going on in your education. You got your own thing going on and Jesus isn't a part of it at all. And so the key is to bring Jesus home with you is to say, I'm with him. And this is what Peter or Simon, I keep calling him Peter because his name turns to Peter later. So it's Simon and Andrew. This is what James and John is what they're doing. They're saying, Jesus, come on, come on. I'm, I'm with you. You're welcome into my home. But it says, if we can go, go on, it says, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. Now, now these, the, these houses, you have to understand, it's not like a, a modern house. We think of houses, we think stick, uh, you know, stick built, like uh, studs, wood studs with plaster 
or sheetrock, you know, paint and kitchens and doors and windows. They didn't have any of that. We're not talking about electricity. Uh, they, they, they didn't have any of that. They basically, it was basically like a, a mud, um, mud clay that had been baked in, in the Middle Eastern sun, which got quite hard. But if it rained too much, I mean, your house was going to melt. I mean, that's just the truth of it. But most of the time, it could handle most rain, especially the roof, because the roof was made of more thatch. So it's made with this, this, this mud mixture plus straw to kind of strengthen it. And so you had these basically mud walls, essentially, thatch and mud roof, mud floors, dirt floors, and you had a door in the front. And it wasn't big, and they didn't have separate rooms. So every, it was about the size, I mean, probably from this board here to, to the end of the stage right here, and maybe like here to here. You know, it was the, a general house was about that size. And in fact, they wouldn't even hang out in the house uh, once it got cool. They would hang out on the roof because it, you can imagine it gets pretty hot in a mud <laughs> hut in the Middle East. They didn't have AC. They didn't have fans or anything like that. And so, and so the house was reserved for uh, basically eating so they, they, there would be a space over here to eat. Like a, they, they didn't have tall tables. They had small, like basically a wooden board uh, laid down that you would put food on. They, would, they, they didn't have chairs usually. They had um, cushions that you would sort of recline on or lay on around the space to eat. You prepared a lot of your cooking you did outside because you didn't want to smoke up and, and heat up the space. Now there was some kneading and bread stuff that you could do on the inside and that was great. And then it was just sleeping. That's all the house was. And, you know, adults and kids all in there together, all in one room. And I know you're like, so when did the mom and dad do mom and dad things? And uh, just right there. That's why the kids moved out at about 12. They did. They were, they were adults. Bar mitzvah. Like, that, 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 that was a thing. At about 12, they were like, I'm out, mom and dad. You guys got your thing going on. And I... <laughs> I don't, I don't, probably shouldn't share what Madden said the other day, right? No, she's 13 now and she's starting to notice. But anyway, it was, it's funny. I think it's hilarious, but it might not. But we are in Texas. If I was in Seattle, I could share that with the church, but we're in Texas. Probably shouldn't share that. I thought it was hilarious. And so anyway, yeah, we definitely, Roe actually made up some story. And I'm like, babe, like, no, she said, anyway, okay. But this is a situation, all right? It's a situation up here. Never mind our house. Like, it's a situation here. <laughs> it's always funny. You can embarrass your wife. And, right there. Anyway, this is a situation. So it's all one room. So when it says that, 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 that his mother-in-law, one, it's kind of weird that his mother-in-law is over at his house, honestly. That's interesting. It must be that perhaps her husband is dead. Or because she's sick, she's come over to his house because she didn't want to get her husband sick. Because a fever is a really big deal when there's no penicillin, no ibuprofen, no Advil. I mean, it's a really big deal, right? It's COVID-17. That's what it is. Because <laughs> it's an infection that you can't get rid of. You don't have any penicillin or any, any modern medicine to get rid of the infection. You have it. So it needs to work its way through your body. And as it works its way through, your body is trying to kill the infection. So it's raising your temperature. But you get above 104 degrees, you start having brain damage. And back in the day, several people passed away from fever. I don't know if you saw Little Women, right? Back in the day, I saw, them. I saw that movie. Like, it just seemed to be, like in, the, like, in the dark ages, they were doing all, they were trying to let people's blood out to get the fever out or the infection. They had all these leeches and weird stuff because they just, they, they couldn't get rid of the infection. And if you can't deal with the infection and you can't deal with the fever, fevers become very dangerous. Oh, and by the way, they're very contagious. 
especially for the elderly. Now, this lady, this mother-in-law wouldn't have been that elderly, right? But back in the day, people didn't live as long. So compared to all of them, she's pretty old. Uh, Peter, Simon Peter was probably around 17 years old at this point. He's married, probably has kids. Right? Because life started earlier and you got to work earlier and that's just how it was. And so his mother-in-law, probably, I guess my age, she's nearing like the end of, uh, she's, she's considered vulnerable in those, in those societies, especially to fever. Children are considered vulnerable to fever. You take away modern medicine and suddenly things that we think of as not very big are really big, even now in this world, in parts of the world where they don't have access to medicine. It's huge. And I know it's tough talking to Austinites. They're like, oh, it's just a fever. Can't you do? No, man, this is huge. She could die. And in fact, she's very contagious. So I don't even know why Peter went to church. Like, come on, Simon. Like, you're really going to, he, he wasn't wearing a mask. Like, he's out there singing, probably spreading all kinds of stuff. Like, that's why that night everybody had to come to Jesus' house to get healed because they went to the synagogue on Sunday. It was a super spreader event. I mean, this is, it's, like a, it's like a big deal. And so, and so, it's, so it says that, that as soon as they came to the house that they told Jesus about it. And I can just imagine that, that, you know, mother-in-law is laying back here in the corner. She's kind of, you know, all like, like, like frail and like white. You know how you are with a fever. Like you can't hardly stand up. You're weak. You're sweating. You're, you're it's just miserable. And it's like a hundred and million degrees outside and you're in a mud hut and it's just awful. So she's laying there just feeling awful. And then, and then, and then Jesus and James and John and Simon and Andrew, they're coming to the house and it says immediately, as soon as he came in, they told him about her. And I, it's just my imagination, but I, it says they, which means Simon and Andrew told, told him about her. And I can just imagine Pete, you know, getting up to the door, Simon getting up to the door and he's like, oh, um, hey Jesus, uh, real, just real quick, real quick. I mean, like Jesus is the son of God. We don't want to kill him at the beginning of his ministry. He's supposed to die on a cross, man, not in my living room. So, yeah, hold on, Lord. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking maybe uh, a rooftop uh, lunch would be better, right? And, and like, like I can just see Peter try, or Simon trying to explain to Jesus why he should not go in his house. And this is, this is I think, one of the great, man, that's, yeah, that's a good thought. This is one of the great prohibitors to why people don't take Jesus home with them. It's not that they're ashamed of him, they're ashamed of themselves. <laughs> so I love that Simon is a beautiful demonstration of somebody who's at church worshiping, everything looks great, and yet something is at home heavy on his heart. <laughs> He's not the only one who's worshiping and worrying at the same time. He's not the only. So if you're here today and you're like, man, that sounds great, but I don't have everything together. I'm not sure I'm ready to go to my workplace tomorrow and start bringing up Jesus. Well, here's, here's what you need to do. When you bring him into your house, immediately bring out the thing that's dying inside of your house. Because this is what we often do. Like we bring, I'm, I'm going to bring Jesus home with me. And it's like, it's, it's like, hold on, Jesus, just, just a sec. I need to clean up a little bit. We come in here and you know, the, you know, you, it's like, oh, babe, like your mom's still here. Like, I thought you were going to like get her out. I, I, I texted you on the way you're still like out, out of windows. Can we like shove her out of here somewhere? I mean, I, like, okay, fine. Let's just take the couch. Let's just put it right here. Ow! All right. We'll just put it right there. Great. That's great. That's cool. Okay. We're good. And, you know, all right, Jesus, you can come on in. And Jesus is like, okay. 
couch looks a little lumpy. No, it's fine, Jesus. Ow, ow, ow. It always makes the sound. Sounds just like my mother-in-law. It's good. <laughs> and, you know, it's like we try to hide the weaknesses. We try to hide. Jonathan wouldn't do that to his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law beat him down. And she did not take it. She, not take, she might have a fever, but she's, she's still, she's getting up. She's going to get herself up out of that fever. But no, like we, we try, and, and I guess when I say bring Jesus into your house, I don't, I, I do mean your literal like home, like your family, but I also mean your house. Like your body is your house. It is the shell that houses your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it also houses your spirit, which is that eternal part of you. It, but but it, all, they, it all lives inside of this house. It's kind of like that uh, Disney, was it Disney? Uh, inside Out? Where, the, where she's got it's like the little, the little people inside her head, like all of her little emotions, you know? It's a great insight into like a little girl's brain and, and actually like people in general, dads and moms. And it's, it's pretty psychologically interesting. But it, th- those are your emotions. That's one part of your soul, right? So your mind is another part of your soul. And so I, like, like as we let Jesus into our house, we expose him to the, the fevering parts that are within us. The burning parts. What is it? Uh, uh, Rich Mullins said, sometimes it, it's so hot inside my soul, I swear there must be blisters on my heart. You know, because it, 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 it's burning. This, this thing is killing me. This thing is weighing on me. I wake, I wake up and, it, and this thing in my mind, for instance, so your mind, your will, and your emotions, it might be in your mind. The fever might be in your mind that this thought, this thought just keeps rolling around. Something somebody said just keeps rolling around. Something, something you said or did that was so stupid, it keeps rolling around, rolling around, rolling. My mind is feverish because there's an infection inside of it and it's, and it's swollen up and it's, and it's screaming at me. And I, don't, I can't let Jesus in there because if he sees that and how petty I am, I shouldn't have taken it that way, but I did. If he sees that, if he sees how weak I am, if he sees how vulnerable I am, it's not that we're ashamed of him many times. I think we're ashamed of ourselves and we do not want to give him access to these places because then we'd have to deal with it. Then we'd have to expose it. Then we'd have to come at it with hope that it could change. We haven't found that hope. We haven't figured out a way. And so we wait until we can figure out a way before we invite Jesus into it, before we expose him to it. It's like, Jesus, all right, so just, just hang out right here. Uh, yeah, yeah, just hang out right here. We got some soup, some soup coming in. All right, get some soup back there. Get her some soup. And it's like, man, no. If, if you're going to bring Jesus in, you're going to have to bring him into the good stuff and also the hard stuff. Also the weaknesses, also the part where you're so weak you can't stand up for yourself. Sometimes it's in your mind, sometimes it's in your emotions. Sometimes your emotions are going crazy and it's not all, it's not all negative. Sometimes you're just, you're just, you're just, just up and down, right? Sometimes you're just not in control. That's what a fever is. You're not in control of your body at that point. You're literally at the mercy of this, this thing, whether it's COVID-17 or 16 or 15 or whatever it is. Like you're at the mercy of this thing and you feel that. You're not in control. And what happens is we, when we're not in control, then we don't want to let Jesus in because I, I need to present something good to him. I don't want to bring him into a house that's got fever and sickness and all this nastiness in here. This is the future redeemer of Israel. We don't want him in here. But no, 
Peter's like, hey, so the first miracle was his authority at church, but man, where I really saw that he loved me (laughs) was when he came into my house and he dealt with my mother-in-law. And the other disciples share the same story. Guys, guess what? Jesus wasn't just out there healing like sick of a, just on this eternal mission. No, he went to our houses. Like there's this one story about Pete, but surely he, he visited, he's not just interested in Simon's home. He's not just interested in Simon's mother-in-law. This, this is a representation of the way Jesus was. Jesus was not the televangelist who was gonna love him and leave him, right? He, was, he said, no, I want more than that. I wanna come to your home. I desire to, because, because while everything looks great at church, there are wounded areas inside of this house. And I, and I think that's the challenge today. The, 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 the challenge is to tell Jesus about him immediately because you believe that if he has authority out there, then he can have authority in here. I believe in sudden positive shifts. <laughs> I do. Call me crazy. I believe in sudden positive. I've seen it happen too many times. People at the end of their road, out of ideas, out of plans, out of thoughts, and they invite Jesus in in sudden positive change. Sudden, instant. It didn't, there wasn't a process. Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her up. And as he lifted her, she had the strength to stand to the level that he lifted her. And God will do that with you. He will give you the strength to stand at the level that he can lift you. And he can lift you pretty high. (laughs) Whatever you place in his hand, whatever you put in his hand and allow him to take hold of, he'll lift that part of you. He'll go directly to that wounded part and he'll lift that so that it's level with everything else. So that she's participating. She starts serving them. She starts doing what she would have done if she wasn't sick. Her mind starts doing what it would have done if it wasn't spinning. Her emotions start doing what they would have done if they weren't wounded. And, and, and her will, her desires, line up with the desires of God like they would have been if they hadn't been affected by life and hadn't been twisted. Why? Because there's healing. There's sudden shifts. Sudden, immediately. Mark loves that word. So if you're in need of some sudden shifts, would you just close your eyes with me right now? And I just want to invite you We've, we've spent time worshiping God. We've spent time communing with his body. We've spent time o- opening up his word. And like 2,000 years ago, people in Rome heard this story and they said, wow, he did that for your mother-in-law? <laughs> wow, he did that in your house? And I can just imagine Simon saying, yeah. And he's still alive and he's still with us even now. And he'll do that inside of your house right now. If you'll let him in. If you'll let him in, whatever you place in his hand, he will raise it up. But whatever you hide from him, he won't. And so the challenge then is to stop debating and start deciding to expose your inner life to him. So if you're here today and if you want to do that, if you want to do that, would you just raise your hand? I guess kind of like the woman with the fever. (laughs) Put her hand in Jesus' hand and said, Lord, take take my hand. Lift me up. Hmm. 
It's that song, Take My Hand, Lift Me Up, by f- and Let Me Stand by Faith on Heaven's Tableland, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. <laughs> my, my soul has no desire to stay where thoughts arise and fears dismay. By faith, I have caught a higher sound. <laughs> Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord Jesus, lift us up. Lift us up. Lift us up above our feverish thoughts, our feverish emotions, our feverish will. Lift us up to a place of strength. (laughs) Thank you that you don't reject us, but as soon as we open up ourselves to you, you rush right to the area of need, not to condemn, but to lift. Lift us up. Lift up our uh, what, what is broken inside our house. <laughs> we put our hand in your hand. We put our trust in you. We believe that you are who you say you are. We believe that you have all authority and all power. We believe that if we let you in, that just simply the presence of Jesus, without, there was no teaching at the house. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. You might not be able to come to church, but sometimes church will come to you. God God came to her when she couldn't come to him. And he didn't spend time teaching, even though that's important. He just said, look, let's deal with this. Stand up. And immediately the fever left her. Immediately. She had control over her mind, over her will, and over her emotions. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you right now. We ask you to lift us up. Give us strength to stand with you, to walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.